each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who, that'll come back up in a second, I'll just read it. In, in, the, man, in the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Okay, we're getting the picture so far? He goes on. Now, after a a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came up and and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, successful slave. You... You multiplied a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, successful slave. You multiplied a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received one talent came to him and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered him and said, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I do not gather and I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest." Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will be given in abundance. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So hopefully you followed that, even though we don't Our connection's lost up here. We've been having trouble with our our internet. And and maybe you're familiar with this parable, right? Um, The the core issue, which is really always what you have to ask about a parable, is what is Jesus really getting at here? What's What's he trying to get across? What's the point? Is that he's comparing three slaves, right? Two did good while the master was away. One did not. And he's comparing those slaves to us. So when, when our master comes back, will we be the good slaves or the bad slaves, right? That's, that's the comparison that he's making. And so we got to ask ourselves what makes the good slave good and what makes the bad slave bad, right? And the good slaves are the successful slaves, right? You got the guy who had five talents, and he doubled his money and gave five more talents back to the master, right? You have the guy who had two talents and gave two talents back to the master. That's pretty good investment. Can we agree? Anybody do a lot of investing? Like, you're doubling your money. That is a good investment, right? They did well. They're successful, right? Now, you're going to miss a little bit of, of what I was going to do visually here um, because you probably, you may or may not have heard what I said. I was hoping you would see what I said. But I said in, in, what, in what the master said to his servants, this was the response that I, that I quoted, right? 
the guy who gained more five talents, his master said to him, well done, successful slave. Anybody know the passage there? Anybody going, that doesn't sound right. Good and faithful servant, slave. Not successful. That is not what he was commending the guy on. He wasn't going, Good j- look at that investment you did. Excellent. Nice job. You succeeded for me. No, he commended him because he was faithful with what he had been trust- entrusted with. Same thing for the two guys. Here, here you can see this now, right? Not successful, good and faithful. Not you multiplied a few things, even though we know he did multiply it, right? You were faithful with a few things. It's a huge difference between those two things. Same with the guy with two talents. Well done, not successful slave, but good and faithful slave. It wasn't that he multiplied the master's money. It was that he was faithful with, with what the master had entrusted him to do. Faithful means dependable, trustworthy. Those slaves had been given a job. That's why he entrusted his finances to them. They had been given a job. And the guys he commended were the guys who were faithful with the job they had been given. Now, look at the bad guy, the guy who got corrected. He says, uh, you wicked, lazy slave, you know, I reap where I don't sow, gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Would that interest have been double the money? No, it would have been a fraction of the money. Did the master care about the return on his money? No. He cared that this guy was not faithful. That's what he cared about. The problem is we live in America, right? Where numbers matter. Where success matters. And that seeps, that is, I'm going to say that has seeped into the church. And it is fully entrenched at this point. That the right churches are the ones that are booming. And I think a number of things have brought me to my distaste for this idea. But one of those things definitely is that I was at a, at a pastor's conference once with our whole staff of pastors. And the guy leading this pastor's conference, it was at Hume Lake, and I'm a big fan of Hume Lake. I'm a big fan of the leadership at Hume Lake and the way they make choices there. I'm a big fan, but they made a huge mistake in bringing this particular guy to this pastor's conference. And, and what you usually do at a pastor's conference, if you've never been to one of these things, is you bring in a big name of someone who is considered successful. That's, that's all pastor's conferences, that's the way they work, okay? So they brought in this guy who was a mega church pastor out of Phoenix. I cannot tell you how kooky this guy was. I mean, it was crazy the things that this guy was espousing from the stage. I mean, he was talking about crystal planets and revelation. I mean, it was crazy. But he was also saying things like, hey, you know what? I'm the, I'm the important guy on staff because I'm the lead pastor, right? And, and so every month, 
I check my pastor's bank accounts to see if they've tithed correctly. Are you kidding me, guy? Like, what, what in the world is going on? Right? Um, I mean, this, I, I could list off the number of things that were crazy that this guy was saying. But, but why did they bring him in? Megachurch. He had the numbers. There are lots of guys who have the numbers who are not going to be standing with us in heaven. Numbers mean nothing. Very, very little, if anything. Luke, uh, in my opinion, Luke 16.10 says, He who is faithful in very little things is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Many times over the years, um, we've had, uh, Melissa and I in youth ministry have had groups of 100 kids. We've had groups of 12 kids. And uh, this has happened a number of, number of times in our smaller groups that people have come and seen like an event that we're putting on with 12 kids and said, and, and they see like the work and the effort that we put in and, and, and the grandeur of what this event was. And they're like, I cannot believe you did that much for these 12 kids. And I go, in my mind, we were like, why wouldn't we? Because if it's not about numbers, and it's not, and it's about faithfulness, how would we not serve the 12 in the same way that we serve 100? If we have an American idea of success in the church... Of course we wouldn't waste our time giving that much effort to 12. It's not, it's not what we're called to. Principle number two. Any results are not his, are, not, are his, not ours. Any results are his, not ours. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 5 through 7 and 21 says this. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. So then let no one boast in men. That's how he concludes this section. I'm just going to pop in real quick because a few of the principles on this document that I was telling you about, I've already taught on. I taught back in January on three of them. I'm just going to plug them in from time to time. You can see it on your handout. Uh, one of the principles is this. We're not personality-driven, but, com but community-driven. I don't know if you remember our discussion on that early January, um, that most churches, particularly most large churches and megachurches, are built around a personality, a person, uh, and that person's not Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it is built around Jesus. They glorify Jesus. I'm not. But, the, but there's a dynamic personality in the midst of that, right? Um, so to be a church that's not personality-driven, and that part of that comes out of this 1 Corinthians 3 passage. That's why I wanted to plug it in there real quick. But the thing I want to focus on today is this. Who is the important one in the calculation that Paul is laying out here? Is it Paul? No. Is it Apollos? 
Now, did they do their work? Yes. Did they do their work faithfully? Yes. But neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Man, I need to take that corrective, right? I'm not anything. I'm a cog in the, uh, in the, in the chain. The, the, the important, that was a mixed metaphor. But anyway, a, a cog in the machine, a, a link in the chain, right? <laughs> that really the one that matters, the one that's really doing the work is God. And so if there is any numerical growth, who's at the, at the cause of that? Who's the one doing the work there? God is. And I'll tell you, if we as Grace Community Fellowship grow in numbers because of our great efforts to grow our numbers, then who gets the credit? Who should get the credit? Us, Right? He's at work. <laughs> He's the one doing the work. He's the one that's going to multiply. He's, if our numbers go down, if we, if we end up being a, a church of 12, is God still trustworthy in the midst of that? 100%. But I'm telling you, churches across the country begin to shrink their numbers, and immediately there's a problem. And I got to admit, as much as I love you guys, as much as I respect a lot of you guys a lot, I do kind of wonder if we shrink up what, what, how we're going to respond. I wonder. Because if we have this idea that, that faithfulness is success, is numerical success, is numerical growth, then if we shrink up, obviously we're not doing what we're called to do. When in fact, you guys know, I think we are going more and more down a path where our culture is more rejecting faithfully biblical people, people who are faithful to the Bible, and I think there's a great possibility we're going to shrink up. Because it will not be acceptable to, to be in a, in a community of people who hold the biblical Sexuality, for instance. And I would say if we hold the biblical sexuality and we shrink up, we're being faithful, but not growing exponentially, right? If God wants to grow us, great, right? Great, great. I'm not saying that that won't take place. I have no idea. That's his, that's his realm. Acts 2, this context of this is, is Pentecost, right? The church is established. In fact, in verse 41, he says, So then, who had then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. So Peter gives this, this, uh, this sermon. There's a great response among the crowd, um, 3,000 people. The church is established, right? This is the day the church is established. This is a great day, Right? Look at the rest of this. I don't know if you've noticed this before, but look at the rest of this. Um, by the way, I've heard a lot of people talk about the church growth movement, and we'll use this passage to go, this is why we need to be exponentially growing, right? If the Spirit of God is working, 3,000 people are going to respond, right? That's, troub that's troublesome, but let's keep going. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. 
Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with all as anyone may have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. These are good days. These are great days. I wish I could have been there. Like, this is, this is great, right? They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, which was really Jesus' teaching, right, that he had given to them and they were passing on, right? Uh, they, they were committed to that. They were committed to fellowship, which is, which is close relationship. It's intimacy. In fact, this word fellowship is actually used a lot of marriage in the first century, of the intimacy of marriage. Like, like this is close relationship. They were just connected with one another. Um, they were breaking bread. They were eating together all the time. I mean, they were just having meals together all the time at, in different homes, they were praying together. They were praying individually. They were praying as a group. There was a, prayer was just all a part of what they were doing. Like, this was great, right? Look at the, the, the last statement here. Oops. Right here. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I do not believe that this is a mistake that Luke includes this phrase. I don't think he's just kind of throwing this out as some pithy saying. I think Luke is intentionally going, hey, we knew how the group, why this group was growing. And it wasn't because we had the right church programs going on. It wasn't because we had the right evangelism strategy working. It wasn't because there was a great worship band and a dynamic speaker. It was because the Lord chose to add to their number. And again, I think if, if we're faithful to what God has called us to, that if we grow, it will be because he's adding to our number. And if we shrink, it will be because he is subtracting from our number. And if, and if GCF ceases to exist at some point, he will still be trustworthy. He will still be the one to be praised. He will still be at work. And maybe for you, you go, man, it seems like Nate is arguing against something that doesn't really exist. I hope you've never heard these things. But I, I'm telling you, in my user of ministry, this permeates the church that numbers are directly related to health in the church, to success in the church, to whether we're doing the right kinds of things or the wrong kinds of things in the church. All the time, all the time, literally all the time, it's talked about. Where is it in the New Testament? Show me. I want to be corrected on this because this is counter church cultural, what I'm speaking about today. Couple of problems that I see. I'll go through these quickly. Adopting cultural values of, of success, I think, is a huge problem. If you are customers, then our leadership needs to maximize your satisfaction with our product. We need to keep you from switching to brand X, right? 
And we need to be adding to our consumer base, right? Good businesses, if we're going with a business model of success, American model of success, we need to add to our customer base so that we can maximize our profitability, maximize our sustainability. We can grow our business model. Now, if this is an assembly of those who claim to be followers of Christ and want to follow him with everything that they are, then I think things are very different than that. Look at Colossians chapter 1. This is Paul speaking. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We don't need to increase our customer base we need to increase our knowledge of his will. We don't need to maximize your satisfaction in what we're doing. We need to maximize his satisfaction of this body of believers. We don't need to keep you from walking down the street to another church. We need to keep you walking in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. We don't need to be working to please you. We need to be working to please him. We don't need to grow our numbers. We need to grow the fruit of good works. Strengthened by him to sustain us. Whether the offering plate is full or empty, whether our chairs are full or empty, whether our society is for us or against us, strengthened by him. Joyously thanking him for everything. If we're an assembly of believers following Jesus, it's not about us, it's about him. It's not about whether we're a church that's respected in the community because, man, look at those guys. They're packing them in. Which I know is, exists in, in many of our hearts. Man, we'd really like to be about, about a, the it church in town where everybody wants to be there. Second one, problem I see is, and this one I've definitely been getting at, confusing church growth with numerical growth. Do you realize that no New Testament church was ever commended for numerical growth? Not a single one. And there was lots of commendation given. And of all the church problems that were given solutions which there are plenty of church problems in these churches in the first century, not one time is the solution to grow the church numerically. Not once. In fact, I'm just going to go through some of this stuff so you get a sense of this. These are things that they're commended for. First, I thank God, my God, through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the world. Their faith 
I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ." Paul to the Philippians, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. By the way, participation in the gospel is not talking about evangelism. It's not what it's talking about. I've heard people actually use that verse to indicate that. It's fellowship in the truths of the gospel is what he's talking about. That's why he says, for I'm confident in this very thing that he who began a good work in you, church, will perfect it into the day of Christ Jesus. God's done some great things among you. And I got to fellowship with you. Paul spent a long time in Philippi. I I got to fellowship with you in the gospel. Colossians 1, 3 through 6 Uh, Paul to the church in Colossae, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have had for the saints because of the hope laid up for you. I I just got to say, like, can you think of how these letters would have been written today? I don't think they would have said anything like this. I think it would have been something like the love which you have for all the people in your community. What, we shouldn't have just love for the saints. That sounds exclusive. I'm just saying maybe we're wrong, right? Maybe. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it... The, by the way, the gospel is what's bearing fruit and increasing, not the numbers of the people in the church. Even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. First Thessalonians, I know I'm getting like every letter in the New Testament. I'm just trying to give us a sample size of what they were commended for. The, Th- the Thessalonians, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. We ought to always, uh, this is also the Thessalonians, we ought, to, we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fit, fitting because your number is greatly enlarged. So what it says? No, because your faith is greatly enlarged. And the number of people you have added to your church grows ever greater. Is that what it says? No. The love of each one of you toward one another. Have you heard that, that, that when we're inward focused, that that's a real problem for the church? Does this sound pretty inward focused to you? I'm just asking. I'm just, I'm just posing the questions. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your impact in the greater Thessalonica area. Yeah? No. For your perseverance and faith in the midst of all of your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. You know the letter would have been written differently today. Pastor to pastor, right? 
definitely. Spiritual growth is what mattered in the early church. Growing in love, growing in faith, growing in hope, enduring well in persecution, that's what mattered. And guess what? The church grew exponentially in the first century. Exponentially. Faster than the church has ever grown since. And it was not due to any growth strategy. It was not due be to, to them viewing their primary purpose was as to increase their numbers. It was because God was working in and through the church for his glory. So I believe the ideal church is where the focus is on the faithfulness of the church, not the expansion of it. And I really want to know what you think about that. Is this the kind of place you want to be part of? If so, what can each of us do to accomplish this? What questions do you have about how this might work within our body? Fire the cannons. I'm ready.